Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. All right, we're going to finish our, wrap up our series today on the gates. And uh, next Sunday, I'm excited about our new series that we're going to be doing on the tongue, as you saw the little preview to that. So if you would, please turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 3 as we get into the word this morning. I just want to give a small recap on the gates that we have covered so far. There are 10 gates that we see here in the book of Nehemiah. And the, the walls had been, had been demolished and the gates had been burned. And Nehemiah has gathered the people to rebuild the walls and rehang the gates and bring defense back to Jerusalem. And, and um, it was a great work and it was a quick work and... and it was amazing to see in this text the, the unity and the people who just did their part. And we talked about how God doesn't ask you to do everything. He doesn't want you to do everything, but He does want you to do your part. And, and knowing that he, takes good, he keeps good records of it, as we read through this third chapter of Nehemiah, we see all of these names and all of these groups of people, of people that contributed to this great work and how God made sure all of them got recorded. Everybody got credit for what they did. And we know that Hebrews chapter 6 says that God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love, which you show toward his name and that you do minister to the saints. So the one who it really matters, the one who really matters is the one that's paying closest attention to your life. Amen. He paying attention to what you're doing. And we also saw that in verse 5 there that the nobles, that there were nobles that did not put their neck to, to the work of the Lord. And he also noted what that there were those that didn't do their part. So it's important as believers, as the body of Christ, knowing that today we're part of the body of Christ, individual members, and that you have a role to play today in the earth, specifically in the local church. And God's got a wonderful place for you. And when all the parts are doing what they're supposed to, be, to and functioning right, the body of Christ is a great force in the earth, and, and God's kingdom is established, and His church is continuing to be built as Jesus promised upon this rock, I will build my church. Yeah. Amen. So we talked about the, the sheep gate and the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate. And that was a lot of fun. Pastor John gave me that one to talk about. Fountain, the water, and the horse gate last week. Are y'all enjoying this series? Have y'all enjoyed this? Good. And if you've missed any of these sermons, you can purchase a CD back there on the back table or, and I'll be happy to get that to you. But here in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 29, we're going to talk about these last two gates. And all of these gates have these names. They're significant for us to learn something here today. It wasn't just gate number one, gate number two, gate number three. All They had these names for a purpose, and we've been expounding on what those names mean for us today. And the, these gates represent daily living and people coming in and out of these gates. It's the gates of people's lives, where they're at, the stage in their life they're at. And today, we're going to be talking about the East Gate and the Mifkad Gate, another fun one. All right, verse 29. After them repaired Zadok the son of Immer over against the, his house... After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. Everyone say east gate. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, another piece. Fun names, aren't they? After him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, over against his chamber. 
After him repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethanims and of the merchants over against the gate Mifkat. Everyone say Mifkat. And to the going up of the corner and between the going up of the corner unto the ship, sheep gate. So we see that it made it all the way around, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. These were the last two gates repaired. Father, we thank you for this time together under your word. And Lord, we thank you for your word that it is powerful, it's living, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Thank you, Lord, for your word that ministers to every level of mankind, Lord, spirit, soul, and body. And we thank you, Lord, for the answers and the comfort and the strength and the wisdom and the warning and the help that, uh, that we find from your word today. And I pray, God, that your, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ Jesus would be upon your people today to hear the word that the seed would go into deep soil, Lord. And, Lord, we thank you that your word as a seed will produce a harvest, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. We give you praise now. Thank you for gracing my lips today. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said. Verse 29 speaks of the east gate. What does this gate mean for us today? What can we learn from this? Well, we know that by scriptural history, looking through the word, that it's the east gate is an important gate because in the word, we're going to go through several scriptures here in the beginning just to for you to see it, but this is... This speaks of, this is a representative, representation of, and a reminder for us of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. Coming back very soon. It's been soon for a long time. And it's getting sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, another day goes by and it gets closer. Amen. He's coming back very soon. And this, let, turn over to Zechariah, if you would, would with me for a moment. And we're going to look at a few scriptures here and, and see the significance of this east gate. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the what? East, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall uh, remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So we see that when Christ returns, he will be standing on the Mount of Olives, the east, east of Jerusalem, or which is about three quarters of a mile actually away from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So Jesus will descend to the Mount of Olives. And we know that the Mount of Olives here is on the east side, all right? Now look at Matthew chapter 24 for a moment, verse 27. It just says this, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So another, another reference of him coming from the east. And in Acts chapter 1, let's go there for a moment. If you need to, just, just uh, huh? 
Write them down, yes. Write these scriptures down. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, when they therefore were come together, they asked him, this is the disciples coming to Jesus. He's already risen from the dead, and he spent some time with them here. And now they've come together, and it says, uh, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus is talking to them about a day when the kingdom will be restored back to Israel. All right? And so they got excited about it and said, Lord, is it going to happen now? And he said in verse 7, it is, <clears throat> and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. All right? So we know that the kingdom will return to Israel. And number two, we understand that only God knows when the kingdom will return to Israel. Contrary to what some people are saying today. These end time experts setting dates and figuring all, trying to figure all this stuff out. Right? God the Father has put that in his own, under his own power. That word exousia is the power is the word exousia. That is his authoritative power. He can do whatever he wants to. Right? He decides. And then, and then Jesus says, but you shall receive power. Ah, you shall receive dunamis. That is miracle working power. You've got a work to do here on the earth. Amen. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Shall be my witnesses uh, unto, uh, where am I? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and the Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Man. What an awesome moment. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner or in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from where? From the Mount of Olives. So Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, and we know that he will descend in his second coming to the Mount of of olives, all right? Now, just to give a, a quick uh, uh, thought here, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I told you we are going to go through a few scriptures, here in the beginning anyway, all right? 1 Thessalonians, just laying a little groundwork for you. Chapter 4. There is going to be the rapture of the church that will precede the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And all God's people said... <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those that which are passed away, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Mm. Believers don't have to sorrow concerning those that are asleep in Jesus. Right? Outside of Jesus, you're completely hopeless, though. Amen. Yeah. But in him... Oh, there's great hope. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, or shall not precede them or go before them. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. So we know that he's descending from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So if you die before the Lord comes back, hey, hey you get first class going up when he comes i'm in all right uh then we were then we which are alive verse 17 and remain shall be caught up together with them in the in the clouds to meet the lord where so we're not meeting him at this mount of olives are we right 
We're meeting him where? He's descending from heaven to somewhere. He's in the air. And so we come, we go meet Jesus in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is telling us something powerful here. That the wrath of the Lamb is coming to the earth. The wrath of the Lamb is coming to the earth, but not on you. I'm here to comfort you today that you're going to meet Him in the air before that happens. Before that happens. I used to be so scared of the rapture as a kid. I don't know why. I do know why. Because I don't know if you remember a few years ago, some of you have been saved for a period of time. Back in the 70s, they came out with these movies about the rapture called Thief in the Night and a Distant Thunder and the Image of the Beat. How many of you saw those movies? How many of you got scared when you saw those movies? Okay, good. I'm in, I'm in pretty good company this morning. I was about nine or so, nine or ten years old when I saw them, so I didn't have a real good understanding of what was going on. It was just pure terror watching those movies. And, uh, and, 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 it, and, it, and it made me fearful concerning, because I, I just didn't have an understanding of it of the rapture and the second coming of Christ, thinking that there's a possibility that I wouldn't make the rapture. Not, didn't have the understanding that if I had Jesus, I was going. And so, right after we'd seen those movies, and we were living in Thackerville at the time, we moved off to West Texas, to San Angelo, where Dad began his ministry out there. And when I was about 13 years old, um, I came home one day to an empty house. It gets worse. It gets worse. Came home to an empty house. And I thought, well, I wonder where everybody is. And there's a note sitting on top of the TV. So I walk over to the TV, and there on that note, it says, Gone to prepare a place for you. We'll be back for you soon. Love Jesus. And I panicked. I lost my ever-loving mind. I thought, he took the time to write me a note, but didn't take me home? He took my family? Why do I have to wait? So I get on the phone, and I'm trying to call people, and of course, everybody that I call is not home. And the pastor of our church at the time, Pastor Bob Long, his wife, Leslie, answered their phone. I thought, okay, well, she missed the rapture too. The pastor's wife missed the rapture. I guess it's not all that bad, you know? And at the time... My uncle, Ronnie, my, my mom's brother, was living uh, in our garage there in San Angelo. And, and so I opened the door out to the garage, and there he was sitting on the bed. And I said, do you know where mom and dad are? Do you know where? He said, they're all at the mall. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I don't know if you've ever had fearful experiences concerning the rapture of the church. I have. But I'm over it today, praise God, because when I read this scripture here, those that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they be alive or whether they be dead, praise God, are going to meet the Lord in the air. And someday, someday, in that second coming, you and I are going to have a big part to play in that. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that prove that. Zechariah chapter, four, uh, chapter 14, verse 5. And we'll look at the second half of verse 5, which just simply says, oh, we'll read all of it. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, you shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and what? 
and all the saints with thee. Jude 14. Let's look at Jude. It's only one chapter. Jude verse 14 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. This word ten thousands does not mean just ten thousand people. It's actually the word myriad, which means it, they used it as a term, a, a number that you can't number. 10, 000, it also is, is translated as ten thousand times ten thousand. So they're just trying to put some kind of figure out there to let you see how grand it is, right? It's an innumerable, and John talked about, used the same word in Revelation when he said there was a number no man could number. Myriads of people, I mean, nobody can, can calculate how many there are. And he's coming, Jesus is coming with who? His saints. First Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll see it again. Just want you to separate it in your mind, these these two events. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 3, 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Praise God. You're coming back when he comes back. Amen. Praise God. Now let's turn over to Revelation chapter 19. We'll talk about this second coming. Now listen, I don't claim to be an expert on eschatology. There are men like Brother Charles Capps and Hilton Sutton, maybe we'll have them come to church sometime. And, and they're just wonderful how they can open up the scriptures and show us these events. I do know that these events will happen. Praise God. And Jesus is going to return with his saints. Revelation chapter, did I say what chapter? 19 verse 11. Let's look at this. John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was faith, called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Who's this? Followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This day is going to be a great and terrible day. Great for you. Terrible for everybody else that doesn't believe. It's the truth. Just imagine with me for the next few minutes a great open field in heaven. And a man that a number that no man could number of the saints of God on their horses. Looking upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
whose vesture is dipped in blood. We look, we look upon that blood and we are grateful to be on this side of this lamb today. Knowing that that was the blood that saved us. But today that blood serves a different purpose. Today that blood shall be avenged. And Isaiah says that he was as a lamb led to the slaughter. But ladies and gentlemen, this day, this lamb would bring the slaughter. I thought about why it's the wrath of the lamb. Have you ever been scared of a lamb? Why, is it, why isn't it the wrath of the lion of the tribe of Judah? Why is it the wrath? What's so scary about a sheep? But the lion was not what was sacrificed for sin. The lamb was sacrificed for sin. So the lamb has to be avenged for the sacrifice. And once John stood and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This day will be behold the Lamb of God which judges the sin of the world. And I can see ten thousands by ten thousands of saints on their horses in their fine linen. And up front is one of the leading officers in this army known as the great king in Israel, King David. And when David looks upon great David's greater son, when David is looking at the king of all kings, I think that probably Psalm chapter 45 comes rumbling up on the inside of him and he, in honor to this great king, unsheathes his sword and holds it up in high salute. And everyone behind him follows suit as for just a few moments, just a few seconds, you can hear it echoing through the hills of heaven. Shing, shing, shing. And he stands up tall in his stirrups and he says, Gird your sword on your thigh, Almighty One, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome and terrible things. The air, your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. All the people shall fall under your feet. Your throne, your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And all the, all the saints with a battle cry and they, they thunder out of the dimensions of heaven and come crashing through that eastern sky into earth's atmosphere to, to bring vengeance, execute vengeance upon every enemy of God, everyone that defiled, everyone that denied, everybody that rejected this sacrifice and they will be destroyed and Jesus Christ will reign. He will set up his kingdom and the kingdoms of this world, they will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Therefore, God 
has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. This East Gate reminds us, keeps a reminder that this day is very near. Which takes me to this next thought, the Mifkad Gate. And if you happen to read a New American Standard, you will see that the, the word it uses for Mifkad is inspection. And this is a, uh, or a, a place of command, a post where they would inspect people coming in and going out. When we think of the second coming of Christ, knowing that each one of us individually will stand before God and give an account of our life, it just makes you automatically inspect yourself, doesn't it? To look into your life and examine yourself. We all need this. This is really one of the powers of coming to church is that we leave our workaday lives for a little while and our busy times and just all the stuff that we're inundated with to come to the house of God and to reflect upon this great king that is soon coming and to sit under the word and to give our worship to him and to, to give of our, 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 our resources, our, 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 bring our spoils, if you will, to give something to the kingdom. And to set under truth. You know, real Christian maturity is when you stop arguing with God. When you just be a, when you become a lover of truth. The truth of the word of God. And you don't argue with the Holy Spirit anymore. And you just accept what God says. Amen. Knowing that he's got your best interest always in mind. In the chapter that Pastor Troy read this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, let a man examine himself, long around verse 28. 2 Corinthians verse 13, chapter 13, that is, verse 5 in the Amplified Version says this. It says, examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 says, let us test and examine our ways and let us return to the Lord. Psalm 26, 2, it says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Test my heart and my mind. A few weeks ago, Heather and I were in New York City. And uh, I told you how we were awed by Times Square. I could have just stood there for days with my teeth bucked out and had a great experience. I mean, it was overwhelming. And on Times Square, they have, they have uh, these big screens and lights everywhere. And then they have this... This Hershey's chocolate building, and then they have an M&M's uh, chocolate building. So Heather and I were going to get some gifts for the children, and so we were over at those big candy stores having fun. And, and our daughter Madeline loves dark chocolate. And they had a special dark chocolate syrup, Hershey's dark chocolate. I don't know if they have that in, in stores, but it, we thought it was kind of special anyway. There, it was special because it was like... $63 for the bottle of it. I don't remember what it was. 
But, uh, you know, thought, Heather thought, oh, let's get that for Maddie. So we, we got the, the bottle of dark chocolate syrup, and we packed all of our bags, and we headed to the airport. We checked in our big bags, and Heather put on her, her, her uh, bag that she was going to carry on the plane, you know, through the x-ray. And lo and behold, she had put the dark chocolate syrup in that, in that bag. And uh, so they, they brought it out, and, she, and they pulled it out. She said, oh, no, I can't believe I did that. And they said, you can't take this on the plane with you. Now, seriously, really? You know, my, my, I'm, I'm on this side of it in my little world here, and I'm thinking, what can you possibly do with dark chocolate syrup to threaten the nation's security? I mean, really, I mean, did they, are we going to get on the plane if we have that dark chocolate syrup and in a moment of madness and reach into the bag and pull out that, nobody move! You don't want to become a human Sunday? Stay right where you're at. But that's in my mind. But to really look at the big picture, there is a greater purpose here. There's a greater reason. Because our world's a different world now. And we are at war on terror. And if... So the truth was, there was no way in the world we were getting on that plane with that little bottle of syrup. Wasn't going to happen. Can I say this today? God wants to take you to some great places in your life. God wants to do great things through you. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. But maybe, just maybe, you're holding on to something that's keeping you from getting to where God wants you to be. Maybe it's an attitude that you've, that you've had and you just won't let go of it. Maybe it's a, a, a relationship that you're in that you know that you should not be in. Maybe it's a sin that you're holding on to, a habit, whatever it might. Don't let it stop you from going where God wants to take you today. Throw the thing away. The Bible teaches us this. Uh, uh, therefore, laying aside the sin and the way, uh, uh, every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Listen, it has no power over you, Christian. The King of kings and the Lord of lords lives in you today. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace today. Hallelujah. So just lay that thing aside. Just say, God, I'm going to do it your way. I want to get on the plane. I want to go where you're taking me, and I'll let this stuff go. Just let it go. Come to an honest place in your life today and refuse to lose. Refuse to lose to that thing again in your life that's been plaguing you. Choose His way today. If we would, let's bow our heads for a moment. I just want to talk to you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.